Hey, live from AC Second listeners, this is Sam Mulberry with our summer podcast series. This series is based on my spring 2018 sabbatical project in which I interviewed 15 faculty who won the Bethel University Faculty Excellence Award for Teaching. As part of this project, I created long-form video interviews with these people to talk about the art and craft of teaching, to talk about how they became teachers, how they think about teaching, how they think about education and interacting with students. So I want to share these full interviews with you throughout the course of this summer. If you're interested in watching these interviews, you can go to cwcradio.wordpress.com and look under the teaching project. If you want to watch the feature-length documentary, Why We Teach, which is based on this interview series, you can also find that at cwcradio.wordpress.com. We'll be dropping interviews from this series onto the podcast feed throughout this summer. Our interview today is with Kathy Nevins, the Faculty Excellence Award for Teaching winner from 1991. My name is Katherine Nevins. I've been with the psychology department full-time since 1981. Prior to that experience, I was part-time in the psychology department in the counseling center and also the women's basketball coach. I was uh, one of the residence hall directors in 1977. So uh, started in student life, went into athletics, um, started my PhD program, but before that I was teaching in part-time in the psychology department. So from 77 on, I've been at Bethel, 81 is when I went full-time, got a full-time job at, in the psych department. I started college as a music and classical languages major. Um, there were some issues with that, not the least of which was spending 40 hours in a practice room uh, a week in the fall and spring of 1967-68, uh, and 1968 was really a watershed year historically. And there were lots of things going on, and um, it, it, I enjoyed it. It was uh, a, a nice uh, avocation, I think, for me, but not something to major in. And uh, so I pulled out of that, tried pre-med, found out that the previous year only three women had made it into the medical school, and they all had had 3.95 GPA or better. Uh, and I was not looking at that kind of uh, GPA, because uh, I got a B in calculus. My first B. <laughs> um, and then uh, by the time I was a first semester junior, I had more courses in psychology than anything else. So, uh, and then I discovered something called um, student development and uh, deans of students as a possible profession, and I liked extracurricular activities, so I thought what I would really wanted to major in was extracurricular activities. So uh, psychology was the um, door opener for that direction of uh, profession, so uh, that's what I walked through. Now, I have to say that um, in my graduate my PhD program, I took a course from Joe Ida Hansen, who was involved in developing 
revising the Strong Campbell Interest Inventory. And she invited us to bring in our strong interest inventories that we had taken prior to um, the revision. And I happened to have t uh, done so and still had those um, uh, answer sheets and, and results and brought them in and uh, discovered in that class that my highest interest match had been psychology, which I had totally ignored as a senior in high school. So that was how I got into psychology. I think uh, the second half of that question is really about teaching and how did I become a teacher. Uh, I am a third generation PhD in uh, my family. My great aunts were um, teachers, uh, one of whom taught at Kansas State uh, College at Pittsburgh and uh, in PE. And my father was a college professor in engineering, mechanical engineering specifically, and then um, went into administration. But uh, he loved teaching. He loved his students. They were um, a part of our household. He would bring over his foreign students for holiday meals, and um, it was very difficult for him to have to give up his teaching even when he was um, appointed dean. Uh, so much so that he chose to leave Kansas State, where he had been there for 25 years, um, because he didn't want to give up teaching, and the president wanted him to do that if he was going to be dean. So that's in my background. Uh, and um, I don't know, just one of those hand-in-glove kinds of experiences in the genes, so to speak. We're always in love well, I was always in love with my grade school teachers. Uh, you know, I thought they were wonderful, uh, with maybe one, one or two exceptions. Um, and uh, I think it was difficult to uh, use any of those teachers in junior high or high school as uh, people to look up to, in part because there was a discrimination and. The expectation was, even though I was, um, I, I had good grades, I did well uh, on all the achievement tests and aptitude tests, um, the only thing the guidance counselor told me to think about going into was to be a secretary. Uh, and so it was really, I think, the role model that I leaned on was my great aunt, uh, Irma Jean Nevins Holloway. And... Um, you know, she was the one first in the family to get uh, a terminal degree. Her dissertation was on home accidents as a leading cause of death, which was uh, preventable. And so her her work was uh, both uh, theoretical, mathematical, and um, pragmatic. So. She would talk to me as a, a person to have um, good conversations with and ask questions of me. And um, uh, even when we were talking about things that I had no background in, which was safety, right? Home health and safety. Um, and uh, so I, I think in terms of uh, psychological support and motivation, 
she was a good role model, but I wouldn't say she was a mentor. I don't really think I had a mentor. Um, my, uh, I certainly had inspirations in uh, inspiring teachers. And uh, the one that I want to really kind of highlight was uh, a graduate student at the University of Colorado who was teaching um, a writing course. Actually, it was a literature course. It was a short story literature course. And I've told this story before to people because uh, I took the course because I could, uh, as an honors student, I could take courses pass-fail. This was a freshman class I was taking as a senior. Um, it was a pass-fail course, and uh, you know, I was plotting through it, reading the materials, doing the, you know, the reaction papers, and so on. And uh, we read The Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad. And he would give us like three or four questions. We could pick one question to write an uh, essay about. Uh, and the question was, compare Conrad's use, use of light and dark um, with good and evil. And I really got into it. I just, you know, some hidden door opened, and I was passionate about uh, that uh, question, and I spent um, hours and hours pawing through this novella of, um, uh, for analogies and uh, uh, re references to light and dark and good and evil. And um, by the end of my research, I had 29 pages of notes. Any essay... We were limited to one piece of paper, eight and a half by 11. We could type on both sides. This is back when we typed. Uh, single space, no margins, but it had to be on one sheet of paper. That was his limitation for our essays. So I have 29 pages of notes, and I have to you know, basically get it down to about two and a half, three pages. Uh, uh, and... Uh, I mean, basically one sheet of paper, but pretty dense. And so I went in to see him and uh, was talking with him about it. And he asked me what this sheaf of papers I was carrying, what, what that was. And I said, it's, it's my notes. And he paused and he looked at me and he said, would you like to make this your class project? What? Do something that's not on the syllabus? Do something that actually I'm excited about? Um, it was life-changing. I think when I first stepped up in front of a classroom, I was imitating the teachers that I had. Um, and the better teachers were lively. They moved around. They drew pictures on the chalkboard. Um, I had Neil Miller teaching me intro to psychology, and he was a, a, what I would call a rat man. Um, he did. Uh, he actually was one of the guys that reinterpreted psychoanalysis through a behavioral lens. And so he'd draw these little rats and make faces looking like a rat. And um, so, but it was still lecture. 
uh, and it was uh, sitting there taking notes like crazy uh, to get it all in and then going back later and, and going over it. So that was, um, I think, my style at, at, the, at the beginning. Um, and, you know, nobody teaches you how to come up with multiple choice tests. Thankfully, I'd had tests and measurements in psychology, so I knew a little bit about, you know, what makes a good item. Um, and those, uh, you know, I, I'm sort of picturing those first uh, few couple years, uh, you know, teaching the, you know, the standard courses. And I, I taught intro to psych here for, for years in classes of up to 150 students per section. Um, and so, you know, it was. It was a lecture course with uh, frequent exams and um, maybe a few... Uh, let's let's do some activities that would uh, get you to kind of think outside the box or you know, take a personality test and um, have some experiences. Uh, so um, that was, uh, I think, gradually uh, realizing you know what what's it like, sort of empathizing with the students. What is it like to sit through? you know, 50 minutes or an hour and 20 minutes of someone talking at you and you're, you're trying to take notes and so then what? Uh, um, and then I, I um, in my PhD program, uh, was introduced to uh, developmental teaching as a concept and also to um, David Kolb's model of learning styles. Learning styles were uh, kind of the hot, you know, hot topic at that particular time in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. Uh, and the idea that people learn differently and not everybody is like me. Uh, and how do I reach them? So uh, Kolb's model became sort of an internal way of designing my uh, my course and designing my, uh, you know, every class section, uh, trying to provide different experiences, you know, that have an active experience, reflect on that experience, come up with uh, abstract generalizations, test those generalizations, reflect on those, that testing, um, tweak the theory or the principles that you're working with, um, and you know, kind of helping uh, sort of touch the bases for all of the different learning styles, and at the same time, you know, they're they're learning experimentation, right? Um, and the importance of data, and the importance of reflecting on that data, um, coming up uh, with ways to synthesize that data, uh, and then you know, just leave it there. You need to evaluate it, test it. Um, see if it works, and under what conditions. I do attribute um, much of that to my own graduate school experience, and focusing. I mean, it's, uh, it's on college. My uh, degree is in college student development, uh, with you know, the ability to do counseling, to do student 
development life, student life kinds of things. It's a fairly broad um, sort of practical profession. And at the same time, uh, I came into it when it was very vibrant uh, with regard to developing theory. And um, we have William Perry, who was uh, doing work on intellectual development. We have Belinkia uh, uh, and her colleagues who were doing, uh, focusing on uh, intellectual development for women. Um, we had uh, people, Levenger working on identity development in college. Uh, Col uh, Kohlberg was doing his work on moral development and rest also at the University of Minnesota. So, you know, this is sort of the cauldron uh, that I was uh, privileged to be a, a part of. And uh, just before I started my program, uh, Lee Knefelkamp and Carol Wittick were two people at the University of Minnesota as well as uh, Karen Kitchener and um, Pat King who were actually taking those theories and then applying it in the classroom. Uh, and granted, they weren't doing it necessarily with a real heavy content-based academic classrooms, um, but they were seeing that they could actually get uh, movement, if you will, growth on intellectual and moral and identity development with the way that you taught your class. Right? So, uh, and paying attention to where students are. So the whole idea of figuring out where your students are intellectually, where they are developmentally, uh, and trying to teach to that um, where, where they are, and then having, uh, providing them experiences that will help them uh, grow, I mean, that, that's kind of simple, right? Uh, but we don't usually think about that in college. We don't uh, tend to think, we, we tend to focus on our discipline uh, rather than, to me, we need to focus on the student as well. Not, I'm not saying we, the discipline doesn't matter. It, it matters a lot. But it's how do we introduce the discipline to the student and the student to the discipline. It's a two-way street. Three-way, actually, because um, the faculty member is the person who's, uh, I think, responsible for that process. That's uh, how I got into um, becoming a pseudo-expert in um, college student developmental theory. And it was a time at Bethel where, um, I mean, I, I was young. Um, and we were going through the first uh, of, who know, of what turned out to be several um, financial crises. We were changing the um, curriculum uh, as, a, as a faculty, and uh, we were looking for ways to um, help people to kind of embrace um, developmental theory, revitalize their teaching, and uh, Lorraine Idle, who is a retired uh, English education professor, um, talked to me one day in the faculty lounge and said, you know, you should be uh, involved in this. Um, so I wrote the first draft of the grant that we got from the Bush Foundation for uh, what 
we now called or affectionately called the spectrum. Scholars pursuing, let's see if I can remember that, educational competencies uh, to reach undergraduate maturity. And Lynn Fouth was the person who was responsible for that, also an English prof at the time. Um, so uh, relying on, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of the expert in the area of developmental theory, uh, college student developmental theory at the time, um, and uh, John Lawyer was involved in uh, helping, uh, he chaired the, the grant uh, development committee. And then I ran the, ran the program, and um, I think that's how I ended up being the person that was encouraging others to um, take a different view of their teaching. The, I think the result of Spectrum, um, and you're asking me to recall uh, the three-year report that I wrote a long time ago, um, because the, the grant was over in 88, and, and so the evaluation was, was done in 87, 88. Um, so uh, first of all, uh, one of the outcomes was, in fact, uh, through some rather rigorous uh, and creative uh, research that passed the muster of no less than Stephen P. McNeil, who was um, kind of our uh, data research guru uh, before Joel kind of took over a little bit of that, a lot of that, uh, is that when students took classes from faculty who had been through Spectrum, uh, they uh, made, had a significant difference in their developmental arc. In other words, they were farther along their developmental arc in intellectual and moral development. Uh, so that was one. So that idea that you can teach developmentally and it makes a difference uh, was supported. Um, we saw an increase in retention of our students. That was a correlation. Don't know for sure, but uh, I think uh, faculty were more enthusiastic about their teaching. They were trying things. And one of the things that happened in Spectrum was each faculty member had a course that they focused on. And in that course, they were to identify um, several students who would be their feedback group and would meet with them uh, we asked them to meet every other week, but they, you know, that could vary. Uh, to talk to the students about how things were going, uh, what was working, what was not working, uh, and you know, this is in the '80s, uh, and the whole idea of classroom research and asking students what was the fuzziest point was still, you know, it was in its infancy. So um, you had a feedback loop. Uh, and the idea of um, students giving you uh, the information that would be helpful to you in terms of how uh, things were coming across, well, that, that was a new idea. We don't wait to the end of the semester. We ask uh, when things can be um, changed. So, um, so we had that impact. Um, 
with regard to how students were feeling about their education. Uh, we had more um, higher collegial feeling uh, among the faculty. Uh, for, you know, there were you know um, people who were actually engaged in the conversation of teaching. Uh, so when you'd walk into the faculty lounge, it was uh, um, talking about what you were trying. Oh, that. Yeah, that's a good idea. So the whole idea of exchange um, of ideas uh, was happening uh, much more frequently. And uh, I think uh, we got to see each other kind of all on the same side uh, in terms of uh, what we were here for. So those were some of the, some of the outcomes. Well, it's been quite a while since we've had any kind of spectrum workshop. Uh, I have, oh, Paula Sonrell did a presentation about teaching developmentally uh, a couple years ago for the new faculty and then I've been doing the presentation to the new faculty. It's anywhere between a 45 minutes and an hour, hour and a half uh, on spectrum ideas. Uh, kind of keeping in mind that students are not us they are not like us. They don't learn necessarily like us. We're all kind of weirdos because we went into higher education um, and are teaching. Uh, most of these people won't. Uh, so there's a, a taste of it, um, but I think the things that uh, have been sustained are the ideas of challenge and support. I think that idea has uh, continued to be part of what we do with new faculty, uh, our mentoring uh, programs, our language, um, uh, at, at least among the older generation of, of faculty. I mean, we still know what we mean when we talk about challenge and support, what we mean by plus one and what we mean by more is, uh, less is more. Um, I mean, we talk about uh, Kohlberg or Perry uh, or King and Kitchener's work. Uh, you know, the whole idea of what's a dualistic thinker, what's a multiplistic thinker, what's a relativistic thinker. Um, what has, uh, the word that comes to mind is dissipated or kind of uh, um, gone below the radar are, um, uh, we just, um, uh, we don't necessarily it seems harder to get people to talk about their teaching um, with people outside your department. Uh, we've, um, I think the idea of meeting regularly with people outside your department to talk about teaching um, doesn't happen. The, I think some of the language is unfamiliar you know, the, the research on intellectual development has uh, kind of disappeared in our nomenclature. I'm not sure that new faculty quite understand what a dualistic thinker is versus a relativistic thinker. I don't know, maybe that identity as teachers. Uh, I think some, in some respects our, we have become professors uh, and to me, there's a, a little bit of difference between being a professor and being a 
teacher. Um, professors also have, have the importance of research and uh, being a teacher is part of that. Um, uh, and at Bethel I think our, we talk about teacher, teaching being preeminent uh, at least in our literature about um, promotion, tenure, uh, reappointment. We want people to be good teachers here. I work with first-year faculty and uh, there's always that uh, desire for people to be successful and, uh, and to, be, to find their own um, what shall we say, uh, style that works. And uh, I think Clyde Parker in his book, The Courage to Teach, uh, reinforces that, that we all have something to offer. But he, in his book, he really is talking about you as a teacher, or me as a teacher, that I offer myself. Uh, and if we don't, then our teaching is going to be flat um, and not three-dimensional. It will be flat. Um, so yes, I, I think I do. Uh, there, I think there are some things that are fundamental to at least our tradition here. What has become a tradition here is that you care about your students. Uh, they're not robots, they're not a sea of audience, they are individuals uh, with lives beyond your classroom and that we need to meet them where they are um, and find ways uh, to help them care about uh, their education and care about the d things that you're trying to teach them and uh, sort of unlock their passions like that graduate student back at the University of Colorado did for me. I've been here a very long time and when people ask me, why do you stay? Um, I stay because it's a Christian liberal arts college. Um, I have lots of varied interests. I was talking with a person the other day, he says, what are you going to do in retirement? I said, that's not going to be a problem. I have lots of interests, lots of hobbies. Um, I read uh, a wide variety of um, books and articles. Uh, you know, I'm, I love history, I love theater, I love, um, uh, I even love chemistry. I sat in on uh, Karen Rogers class the other day when he, she was talking about, um, uh, I think it was a, some sort of digital computation for electrical engineering or something like that. And I enjoyed it. It was, uh, it was good work for my brain. Um, so where do you get to do that? Where do you get to drop in on a physics class or uh, uh, Islamic a philosophy class or World War I class or um, theater and culture class. Uh, um, this is, this is a, a place where you can do that. So interdisciplinary um, education to me is really important and that we're exercising um, 
multiple lenses, multiple ways of looking at the world, looking at ourselves, uh, uh, looking at others um, through the various lenses in humanities and various lenses in the sciences. You know, there's some differences between um, biology and physics, chemistry, and, and, and overlap in all of these things. But, uh, we become wiser the more we can understand whatever it is that we're studying or interested in from uh, all of those different perspectives. Being involved with one another, even in the classroom with our students, uh, even if it was extracurricular, the idea of seeing um, how science uh, a methodology uh, can uh, take us so far and at some point um, having experience in art or geometry or something else to make sense of that data uh, and, and vice versa. And I, you know, one of the things that I talk to students about, particularly in, in honors, is the multiple ways of knowing, right? So yes, uh, become uh, proficient in uh, empirical methodologies, become proficient in logic and uh, rational uh, uh, ways of, of knowing, and uh, acknowledging um, your own action, behavioral uh, experiences that you have and the things that you learn through those experiences and um, intuition and revelation uh, and uh, tradition and that all of those can offer but they're all imperfect and how do we know what is uh, to, to me wisdom is at the intersection of those and truth must meet uh, those standards from all of those uh, ways of knowing and it, you know it is a um, sort of a, the analogy of the medicine wheel that I became familiar with uh, early on and the whole idea of, uh, you know, that people have certain gifts that we're born with, to see things uh, objectively, to see things subjectively, to see things emotionally, to see things uh, sort of cold, yeah, cold-heartedly uh, objective see things up close, see things from afar, see, uh, be able to introspect. Uh, these are all ways that um, we engage with the world. And so uh, what is liberal arts education but helping people develop all of those? And it's not just about your strength, it's about recognizing your weaknesses and uh, saying, I don't want this to be a weakness. I can, uh, maybe I can't do it, but at least I can increase my understanding of the importance of um, empirical research or the importance of logic or the importance of actual reflection on experience. Um, that's what we can help each other with because you know we come out of PhD programs and we're so immersed in one particular way of knowing and yet uh, you know, the, when we think of the great revelations of, of the world, they've really been kind of the combination. I mean, where would we be 
would we, they would have ever figured out the double helix if that idea of what a double helix looks like, where did that idea come from? Um, you know, it wasn't from Galton's counting data and reaction times, right? Uh, um, so, um, yeah, I, I get passionate about uh, wanting people to see that uh, uh, other ways of, other people's ways of making sense of the world uh, uh, are important to us and um, uh, so are our ways of seeing. It's not just them versus us, it's uh, you and me together. Um, and part of that comes from my mediation work. We tell the story in compromise uh, the, to illustrate compromise versus collaboration and that's what I think a liberal arts education does is help us learn about collaboration and we talk about compromise being you know you've got two two kids that need to bring something to school uh, that involve an orange and there's a big blizzard and you, there's only one orange in the um, refrigerator and um, they're fighting over this one orange and they're they're not going to be able to make uh, enough cupcakes for their class or the orange cake that the other one was going to be making because it's only one orange. I'll each, each have to be half. Uh, uh, and um, But nobody may answer, asks the question, what do you need the orange for, right? Uh, and So compromise, you cut the orange in half. In collaboration, you ask that next question. Uh, what's important to you about the orange? And what's important to one is uh, I need the juice, and the other one is I need to uh, flake the rind. And so they both get uh, their needs, their interests are, are met, but that's what collaboration is. You know, what's it for? What are we trying to accomplish? And how can we come together to do that from our different uh, areas of expertise? So, um, and boy, team teaching is a great way for students to see that happening. So, um, and I, you know, I took CWC, what, two, last year? Two years ago? Yeah. Two years ago? Um, wow. Uh, I, I just, and it was my first course uh, in the summer, uh, online, um, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I felt on the, just, it was a, a anxiety-provoking experience to say the least, but wow, you guys do great, and uh, how fun to have uh, so many different um, viewpoints coming together, and um, um, it just was an enriching, much more enriching. I had some experience on one of my sabbaticals and taught elsewhere before I came here. I know I was very young when I was doing that. Um, but I taught at the University of Minnesota for one of my sabbaticals. And uh, that was a, that was not a fun experience. Uh, it was cutthroat. It was highly competitive. Um, people were not collaborative. Uh, and uh, I think that the fact that we are a Christian institution um, and a pietist Christian institution makes collaboration much more a part of our ethos and our expectations. And then it also means that we get to acknowledge and support what I would call the fifth dimension of uh, 
our human humanity, which is the spiritual dimension to me. I'm sure somebody else has another idea of what the fifth dimension is, but um, in the sense of uh, recognizing that there might be um, something to learn from uh, our spiritual selves. Why not study psychology? We're all human beings and psychology is the study of human behavior uh, in all its aspects. And uh, it, I think it's fairly well-rounded. You get uh, a little bit of, um, you get the natural behavioral sciences uh, as part of it, but it, it's also a, a discipline that includes courses on the psychology of religion um, and uh, other courses that really are more uh, thoughtful, uh, thought-provoking. Uh, there's our roots are philosophy and physiology, and you know, we talk about the cusp of interdisciplinary education. Uh, I think that's uh, psychology certainly represents that, um, and I, I think we do a disservice um, to, and if we think of psychology only as statistics and research. It's, it is also pondering you know, the persistent questions of uh, human nature, right? Um, you know, the, we think about uh, what's on TV these days, right? These uh, uh, profilers or um, you know, the, the late instinct, I think, is the latest one, which I haven't seen yet. But basically taking a psychology professor and uh, hooking him up with uh, an investigator to look at um, what makes people do bad things. Uh, and you know, even the question today uh, on the news about the gentleman who killed 58 people in um, Las Vegas. You know, why? You know, that's what people want to know. Um, and I'm not sure we're going to get that answer um, collecting data and analyzing data. It will get us so far, but at some point there's a, uh, a philosophical leap that needs to be taken. And we get to do that in psychology. And I didn't even talk about the fact that it's counseling psych, so who gets to come alongside of people and, um, and help them with the you know, the difficulties of life and, um, you know, our own pain, right, outside of the ministry, right? So don't forget the, the counselors. Um. I am a st registered student uh, and taking classes in, in theater, which is kind of odd because when I first came here, within the first 10 years or so, we would uh, teach interdisciplinary courses and I taught a course with a theater prof called To Be or Not To Be A Question for the Couch. And uh, it was the intersection of psychology and theater and particularly psychodrama, um, character analysis, uh, psychological character analysis, uh, and then performance, uh, you know, theatrical performance and uh, so on. So. Um, have had an uh, intellectual interest in, in theater and then uh, in the 90s had a practical interest in theater and uh, that was when I was um, started um, being in place. 
And the, as far as teaching, remember I, I said that my teachers uh, would lecture and would be lively and take on caricatures. Uh, uh, and it's not unusual to read about psychology professors who will take on personas when they talk about Freud or talk about Adler or talk about William James or um, different researchers and come into class or in makeup and dress and then carry out uh, their lecture in, in that form. So uh, what do you have in common? Well, um, there's a little bit of stage fright in both of them, I think, uh, at, particularly at the beginnings of the semesters. And uh, you are also performing. I think teaching is uh, has an element of performance in it. I mean, you, you need to be paying attention to what's going on, um, just like you do when you're on stage. And in the classroom, uh, what's going on? How are people reacting? Are they uh, chatting uh, and being distracted, or are they chatting on topic? We need to be able to discern those kinds of things uh, in, in the classroom. So, um, yeah, it helps. You know, there's a persona, sort of an up, uh, extroverted persona that you need in both. I mean, my own uh, idea of uh, how we engage with the world and how we understand the world and how we become wise is, again, those, those lenses. And when we talk about teacher, uh, teaching as a science, um, yes, there's things we can learn through research about what works, uh, recognizing that nothing is foolproof and that it, every uh, circumstance is going to have its own uniqueness. Um, the students that you have in your class are unique. On any given day, you're unique. Um, where you are, uh, you know, are you distracted? Are you focused? Uh, uh, so, yes, data helps. Um, ideas help. Uh, and what might work one day isn't going to work the next day. I don't know about you, but I find I, I teach most of my classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I can tell you that there are things that will work on Thursday that won't work on Tuesday. Um, I don't know what that's about still. I think it has to do with you know where people are in terms of feeling, seeing the end of the week or um, sort of immersed uh, in the beginning of the week. Um, so there's a little bit of... Um, I mean, we, we, we're always making decisions, right? And uh, the best laid plans can go awry. Uh, and so creativity becomes pretty important, uh, being able to flex. And um, sort of, I'm also kind of an advocate of naming the elephant in the room. And if people are having a hard time focusing, we have a conversation about what's in the way of people being able to focus on what it is that we're trying to do or... Um, what did they learn from the exercise that we just did, or what are, the, what are their takeaways? Um, and then being able to um, think outside the box, right? We talk about teaching art, craft, science, but it's also intuition. Uh, and uh, maybe that's part of the artistic uh, aspect of it. Um, 
But one of those uh, tried and true lessons from um, my work in developmental theory and also as a psychologist teaching intro to psych, you know, what's the role of anxiety in learning, right? And what we know is we need a little, we need, we need some um, to get us out of bed, to get us to pay attention, uh, but too much, and uh, we're going to regress, we're going to opt out, we're going to distract, uh, uh, we're going to shut down. And uh, that whole idea of challenge, support, challenge, support, challenge, support. And, you know, we're kind of talking a little bit about philosophy as well, but um, it, it is about what can be organic and how do students um, engage with this material. They don't, they engage it personally, but if you engage it personally, it becomes biopic. So that's why community is important. So that uh, I can find out that, wow, you don't see uh, whatever it is that we're talking about in the same way, right? And uh, what does that, how, how, what does that mean, meaning, and uh, well, do you understand it, right? Uh, and uh, how is there a way to integrate those separate perspectives uh, to come up with a new insights? Uh, under what conditions, what situations, what kinds of people um, do what kinds of things, right? Uh, and in both of those courses that you're talking about, you know, there's a wide uh, variety of reasons why people are in those cl classes. There's, uh, uh, and yet, in my mind, there's always, what's clear to me is where we want to go. Where's the point on the shore as we're, <laughs> so uh, we can, uh, in the class, the discussion can stay, uh, you know, when you're paddling a canoe, <laughs> if you've got two, one person who's, being too strong in their strokes, the canoe goes sideways. So um, it needs to be, there needs to be some course correction. And I don't want it to be a straight line because there's much to be explored here, um, but we still want to get to the other shore. And that's kind of the, you know, the goal or whatever the lesson is or you know, my, my hope for them in terms of, you know, broader, deeper understanding of, of the topic. Or the, or the experience. Sometimes it's just the experience. I think the the metaphor uh, uh, is. Um, do you ever see Mom, the TV show, uh, Marjorie? That's my kind of my metaphor. Um, just. Um, wanting people to um, awaken the, the interests inside themselves and uh, find the strengths, their strengths, uh, and um, to develop strengths uh, for them. So, may, so maybe Marjorie um, is a, a metaphor, the, the coach, the 
it's not quite a coach because I think there's something more. So I'm still working on that metaphor question. I remember, here's, here's an, uh, uh, an interesting, Clyde Parker, who was my um, PhD ad advisor for a while, um, and was involved, he came in as a guest speaker to us, uh, to, to the faculty in the 80s, and he drew his metaphor uh, as a gold miner. And so he's, he had this image of him holding up uh, a nugget, a golden nugget. Uh, and that's, that isn't my metaphor. I know it's not my metaphor because that's the focus on the knowledge. Um, and I'm focusing on the development. So uh, maybe it's the, the um, I, I, I don't have a good, I, I guess I just don't have one. I mean, I've played with the idea of a midwife um, idea, maybe, but uh, boy, I just, I love it when students have aha experiences. Uh, and if that was my fundamental um, goal in life, which is to help people have uh, insight experiences, whether it's in counseling or mentoring or teaching or mediation or working in REI. It, um, uh, that's, that's what's satisfying for me. My goals for them is to be better persons when they walk out. So somewhere along the line, and probably because of my work in college student development. Uh, the idea that I'm not just teaching a discipline, I'm teaching uh, life skills, I'm teaching character, I'm teaching um, just, uh, well, stories of people who come out with better self-confidence, um, you know, I, this happened a long time ago, but I had a, a student who was plagiarizing. She was, she was a smart student, and uh, by that I mean she really was grappling well with the material and could articulate uh, in class verbally uh, her understanding of things. And I got a paper in, which was... Um, full of non-quoted quotes. And I called her in, of course, and I said, uh, you know, this is, this is plagiarism. And uh, I remember saying something to the effect that, that you're, you have a voice, you need to trust it. I know you know this. Um, and uh, I saw her several years later, and she told me that that was uh, a game changer for her. Um, so, you know, self-confidence, uh, seeing yourself as a, a competent person, I mean, that's why 
I started teaching Women's Lives, Women's Choices was uh, we had a majority of students were women um, and we still had uh, faculty here who at that time who felt that uh, women's primary role in life were to be wives and mothers and um, the idea of sending a, a woman on to get a PhD in political science or history was a waste of time. Um, and I started that class to be another voice, uh, to help uh, mostly women, there were some men that took the class, but to help women have a different view of themselves and to meet, not sometimes actually bringing women in, um, who were Christian, who um, were competent professionals and doing um, great work uh, and uh, living out their calling uh, in ways other than uh, being a wife and mother. And, and really it was trying to get them to expand their uh, thinking about what they might do with their lives and be honoring to God. I'm a relational teacher. Uh, I, I think that's what makes, uh, one of the things that makes Bethel unique is that uh, we engage with our students beyond, you, know, you got an A on this test, you got a D on this test, you're flunking this test. Uh, we ask the follow-up questions, so what's getting in the way of you being successful? And we sometimes find th out things that we would prefer not to know, um, and yet we do know them, and that's why we have the kinds of support systems that we do uh, at an institution like this, that um, if people are struggling, we uh, try to find ways for them to get supports. Um, uh, and we, I think we go out of the way. Um, the, you know, there are stories that we don't know about, uh, but I'm going to tell one, which is uh, several years ago we had a woman whose mother um, was dying of cancer, and her mother's wish uh, was to see her daughter graduate. And so um, Joel and Jay and several other people got together and um, they put together an early graduation ceremony for um, for this woman uh, and and her family and um, and so her you know, her mother got to see her graduate. So I mean, these are the things that make we forget sometimes, but these are the things that make Bethel Bethel. So yes, um, relationships with students are important. She cared. Um, it would be nice to be considered wise. <laughs> um, um, I'm not always uh, making, you know, I don't make perfect uh, decisions. Um, but I hope that they would see me as uh, transparent and encouraging and uh, encouraging of them to be the people um, 
that they can be. Find a way to um, uh, uh, to embrace humility. I think that uh, oftentimes we come in with a need to perform and be perfect. Uh, you know, you know, this is a probationary job, really, for four or five years, and um, sometimes that can cause us to focus on the wrong things. And um, yeah, I th I I think um, humility uh, and willingness to show your uh, your love of your discipline and uh, learn to um, engage with students in a way that's um, professional and yet uh, authentic uh, and um, find people who can be supportive of your uh, work and your help you with your doubts uh, and help you have just a little bit of anxiety that'll get you up in the morning, uh, but not too much uh, that it gets in the way. <laughs> um, relationships uh, in, I mean, one of the wonderful things about Bethel versus, let's say, the university is it's hard to find colleagues at the university. They're there to teach. They might be in their office for office hours and then they're often not there. Um, here, I mean, we, we can find people to engage with and um, at pretty much almost any time of the day. Uh, might mean getting out of our own departments, but, uh, and that I also encourage, that we recognize that as a faculty that we can get um, pretty insulated if we just stay within our department or uh, even within people who are, um, you know, even the humanities, people staying in, uh, and, or particularly sciences, because they um, tend to be, you know, chemistry and biology down on the first floor, you know, what reason do they have to come up to the third floor or second floor? And um, I think we need to take advantage of the fact that we're still in the same building and the uh, uh, same campus and uh, make more of, of those connections. You're only this age once. You're only this age in college now. Uh, and this is a unique environment. Uh, you're never going to be in an environment where you have such opportunity for ready-made community uh, and uh, you're never going to be in an environment where you're going to be surrounded by so many uh, um, instructors, professors um, who want you, uh, who have something to offer you and want you to succeed. Uh, you can choose to embrace that uh, or you can choose not to, but I would encourage you to, to embrace that. And 
uh, use, I mean, this is a place uh, that's part of your life journey and uh, wow, um, it's, a, it's a rich place uh, to be uh, and I hope you take your time uh, to do the discovery that you need to do. Dear Bethel, <laughs> uh, the first thing that comes to mind is don't forget where you came from. Uh, you have pietistic roots. Uh, those are important and unique. Uh, they uh, are in uh, those roots are um, can be seen in the kinds of ways that we are willing to engage with each other. Uh, they are in the humility that I feel is really important in times of crisis uh, and in times of um, plenty uh, that we are in this together, that this is uh, a community. I think um, we need to remember that we are, uh, we made a mark in the 80s and 90s by being ahead of the curve in our focus on interdisciplinary education, in our um, engagement with students as individuals and as, uh, as people that we cared about, not just in terms of whether or not they can do well on you know, whatever achievement test your discipline has for them to take as, as seniors, but also what kinds of people um, were graduating. Are they people who are um, going to uh, help a stranger on the street uh, or people who are going to walk by? Are they going to be good Samaritans or are they going to be the Pharisee? Um, so to me that's really important. Uh, and the third thing is uh, when I first came to Bethel I felt like our um, willingness to embrace difference um, was not without flaw, um, but uh, I think that's something that we still need to keep working on because, you know, what is the kingdom like? Um, and uh, it's there are things that we have shed that have been important that we shed, uh, but there are also things that I think we are uh, starting to let go of that are really uh, distinctives of who we are. And when I have a conversation with uh, a professional yesterday afternoon and um, he's saying, yeah, Bethel, Bethel's one of those premium colleges that's, that's what we want to keep hearing, right? And he's saying that because of the people that he meets who are from here, who graduate from here. And uh, I don't want us to lose that. And one more thing, um, and this is to, this is to Bethel, uh, and that is uh, one of the things that we learned as an outcome of our work uh, when Spectrum really did transform our uh, our attitude toward teaching, our attitude toward our students, our attitudes towards each other 
uh, all, all of those, uh, is that it takes time. It takes more time to teach developmentally and to care about our students and to um, work with our students uh, in terms of character uh, than uh, if we're not going to do those things. And so if my fear is that uh, in adding load to our faculty, we will withdraw from the kinds of um, commitments and engagement and immersion that we have with our students because it is more efficient in terms of our time to teach a course from the front of the room as an expert uh, spewing our knowledge and uh, evaluating our students with a multiple choice exam at midterm and at final and maybe, maybe uh, a paper, uh, one paper. Uh, not the kind of continual developmental writing that we have our students do or um, activities that build on each other because that uh, will be too exhausted and that's my fear. I will say this uh, about camaraderie and, and community is that it's a, a fine balance uh, you can be over task oriented, which I think would be the result uh, of um, more load uh, put on people. Uh, and then the opposite, which is too much camaraderie and then things don't get done. Um, so it's, it's sort of finding, uh, finding that balance. And I, I, that, that term altruism that we do which um, certainly has its, uh, you know, it do, it, it's, its choice uh, and then it becomes requirement and then it's not uh, choice anymore if it becomes a re requirement. And um, again, what, what will give? Uh, is it fair to expect us to have the same level of uh, research? Uh, standards if this is going to be what is expected in terms of teaching and uh, it seems like we get more um, leverage the wheels are greased better when we can walk out I mean when you go down and, and look at what's flashed on the uh, CLC TV what 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 are the numbers there it's not about um, how many courses our faculty teach. It's what our student-faculty ratio is. It's how many uh, grants our faculty have gotten, national grants that our faculty have gotten. Uh, it's how many, you know, and you know, some about students, so many students are in sports and extracurricular activities and um, go abroad. Well, you know, we, what, what happens to that? Uh, those, those programs, frankly, are, um, happen on the backs of f faculty who have the altruistic desire um, to take students on these trips. Now granted, there's some 
goodies that you get because you get to go <laughs> and you also plan all of those and you do that while you're teaching your full load. You don't get a course release. Um, you don't plan it when you're teaching the course. You're doing it while you're teaching a full load in the fall or spring or uh, so on. Thank you.